Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's Business Soup. I'm your host, John Dibbavoise. That's right. This is Business Soup, and we're talking about asset management. That's your assets. Know how to keep your assets and your liabilities apart. Liron Aliyev will be joining us from his law firm on what type of entities you need to make sure that your assets are covered. Let's start with the basics, a living trust. We're going to talk about the importance of a living trust and your will and so many things to cover your assets. An LLC of S-Corp, C-Corp, Land Trust, and Liron is going to share with you his tips, tools, and techniques, starting with a living trust right here on Business Soup. Liron, welcome to this serving of Business Soup. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. One of my favorite subjects that I like to cover and I've done so for years in broadcast and podcasting is what I call covering your assets. It's making sure that all that work that you have done in your business and into your personal life is kept separate from everyone else. You're a specialist in what I call covering your assets or asset protection. Let's talk about what the different entities are that are so nomenclature to the industry. Those are the LLCs, the Living Trust, the S&C Corp, Land Trust. There are so many of them out there. When I come into your office and say, help me, what kind of trust am I looking to create? And, and how do you go about picking which one I need to cover my assets? This is usually what people think they need. Uh, they usually come in and say, hey, I heard that a living trust is what I need and to protect my assets. Uh, little do they know that living trusts have little to nothing to do with asset protection, but you still do need a living trust. It's just going to serve a different purpose. It's not going to protect your assets, but what it will do is protect you from court and government control upon death and incapacity. So you do still need that or else you're going to be paying heavy fees in the probate courts or in the court system when you pass away or you become incapacitated. So yes, you do need a living trust. People should always get it. But when people talk to me about asset protection, we are now in the realm of land trust, LLCs, LLPs, and irrevocable trusts, which are going to be different for every single situation. So some people may have more real estate than others. Some people may have more personal assets than others. So the recommendations will go hand in hand with what it is that you own. All right. Well, let's back up for just a moment. You were talking about a living trust and I put my assets, say my, say a house, a house into a living trust. Now, what about in the case of where the confusion I often hear about is that if something happens to me and I am incapacitated in that living trust, is there a definitive process by which I want my estate handled if I can't make decisions so that one of my kids say, oh, you know what, pull the plug. He wouldn't want to live like that. In order to understand how a living trust works, you have to first understand what happens if you don't have a living trust. The way it works is uh, imagine that you have a bucket full of your assets and every asset will go through a court procedure upon death or incapacity. So if you pass away, you're going to go through the probate procedure, which is the court procedures to move title to the next person. And that's not the best way to go. You know, that's that's like running on four flat tires. Right, because there's huge and heavy fees with the courts and it's highly time consuming. So just as an example, in California, at least, 
a million dollar property will be $46,000 just to move it through probate at a minimum. So uh, why have your heirs go through that? And, and the time is just insane. It's about a year now because of COVID, but it could be a lot more than that. I have had probates that are open for several years. So you want to avoid the government's way in every way possible. The hang on, situation. I'm going to go back for a moment. When you say that the probates because of COVID or any, or any other reason can last a year or beyond, what happens to those assets or the money that is part of that estate? Or do they just sit there and inaccessible to the heirs? Yes, exactly. So the way it works is no one could open up a bank account or sell property or do anything until someone files for probate in the courts. And the court are going to take control of everything that you own in your name. And they're going to say, we need to have somebody who is going to be in control of this as the executor or the person in charge, the personal representative. And that is going to be determined by your will or by law. So if you have a will or if you don't have a will, someone will be appointed and will be taking control of that. Now, they have to go through a bunch of steps before they could finally transfer the assets to the beneficiaries, the people who are receiving or inheriting money. And that whole process is the probate process. And the goal is getting the money into the beneficiary's hands so that they could actually have control and do things with the assets. So in other words, there is a will or there's a way. If you have a will, things will go smoother. And if you don't, there's a way in which the government will process it for you. And it's not to your benefit or your heirs. Actually, that's a huge misconception. I apologize if I misspoke. But if you have a will or if you don't have a will, you are going through the public probate system, the government system. The only way you segregate yourself from that or you you choose the other side is by making a living trust, which is completely okay. separate from a will. And that will get you into the private system, which means you could do this by yourself with an attorney at their office without going to court and much faster and cheaper. All right. So if I have a will and that's it, I give this to who and divide it all up. That will is just a kind of like a roadmap as to you get this, this and this through probate. Exactly. It is a set of instructions to the probate judge. Okay. How you want your assets divided. That's what a will is. But a trust is a private, I am opting out of the public system and I'm doing this privately. So by creating just a seemingly simple living trust, you can circumvent the probate system and be able to divide up your estate, whatever it may be, the way that you want it to be, and therefore shortening the length of time and the expense of your heirs dividing up your assets and they move on. Exactly. There's actually a famous article that says 70% of families will lose a significant chunk of money because of inheritance, because of the fees that come along with it, because of fights between beneficiaries. So making this as clean as possible is going to only be beneficial for your family in the long run. And it's uh, really up to you today to do it while you still can before something happens uh, like a, a death or incapacity. All right. So in my case, in the baby boom generations, my parents acquired properties long time ago. They have appreciated immensely from when they purchased it, which was seemingly cheap by our standards, but it was a fair market value at the time. Tremendous capital gains on it. 
when you have these huge capital gains and you have an inheritance that is inevitable, what is the best way to protect that property and to pass along that asset to the family members with either an avoidance or limiting the tax exposure? This is a a fantastic question, uh, and it's one that uh, so many people mess up. A lot of people say, hey, I I don't want them to have any tax issues. So while I'm living, I'm going to gift them the asset, which is the worst thing you can do. Why? Because there is something in the law called the step up in basis. And what that means is if you buy something for $100 and then you sell it for $500, you will have a capital gain of $400 of which they will have to pay capital gains taxes at 20% or 30%, whatever it is your rate is for that capital gain, right? Right. Now, if you pass away holding the asset and you give it to your children, that asset will get a step up in basis, which means that that 100 goes to the fair market value of the date of death, which means it's 500 now. So if you sell a day after death, if your heirs sell a day after death, they will not have to pay a single dollar in capital gains taxes because of this step up in basis. And it only applies if you hold property and give the property to your heirs after death. If you give it while you're alive, you lose that great benefit given to you by the tax code. All right. So how do I get my dead parent to sign this the day after their death? Or is this something that's already predetermined? Usually it's predetermined in a, in a will or a trust who gets the property and who gets the step up in basis based on the will and the trust. But even if you don't have a will or trust, you'll still have a step up in basis if you are an heir at law. Uh, the step up in basis is automatic. You just have to pass away with assets, giving it to somebody. doesn't matter if it's your children. doesn't matter if it's somebody else. You'll still get that step up in basis. But if you, instead of holding the asset and dying with it, you give it away during your life, you lose that step up in basis. Okay. This is a business talk show. My audience are restaurateurs. They are home-based businesses. They are business people, small office, home office, the Soho market. What about the estate planning with their business? You have a business, you have trade fixtures, you may have debts that are incorporated or a part of the business. How do you manage that in estate planning as well as asset protection? When you have a business, you have to ask yourself, what kind of business do you have? So when I say kind, I mean, what entity is holding that business? Then we have to assign the interests of that business, which means transfer the interest into your living trust so that it goes in the way that you want. The business will also receive a step up in basis because if you sell your business as a profit, you'll also have to recognize capital gains. They'll receive a step up in basis if you instead hold that business and give it to your children when you pass away. So it might be prudent to hold businesses for that reason and that reason solely. Now, there's also questions about succession in business when you want your son or daughter to start using or having a a business say in your business. And there's different kinds of plans that you do with the rules that you want specific to your family that will help with that situation as well. And you make a business succession plan. But that's what you do for business in general. I know it's a, it's a very general concept. And to, to each person, there is going to be other methods. Now, to your second question about asset protection, asset protection is not for after you pass away. It's usually done for while you're still alive right now. Right. 
to protect yourself from lawsuits, one, to prevent future lawsuits, and two, once you're in a lawsuit and there's a judgment against you, how do you minimize your liability or contain your liability to pieces of your assets as opposed to everything that you own? So that whole thing, that is what you call the realm of asset protection, okay? So people with like, let's say real estate, they have investment properties, things of that sort. What they usually do is they go out and get umbrella insurance just in case they get sued. And they think, okay, all is well. I have a $1 million umbrella insurance policy that will cover me if there's ever a problem with a lawsuit. But people should know that umbrella insurance is usually not enough when it comes to lawsuits. Why? Because umbrella insurance covers the inadvertent lawsuits. It'll cover the slip and falls. It'll cover the negligence. But if you have something that is, I don't know, you've gone to an accident or uh, you sold a property through fraudulent ways, those are not going to be covered by insurance and your assets are exposed. So the question is, is how do you limit your liability for asset protection? One, to prevent lawsuits, to prevent future lawsuits, and two, to make sure that you contain your liability in certain entities or certain boxes is what I like to call them. And this whole thing starts with understanding how lawsuits work in general, right? So a lawsuit, usually these days, especially here in California, you have these contingency attorneys and these contingency attorneys will take cases for free on a, right. on a percentage basis. And so all the tenants are like, yeah, sure. Take my case make some money out of it. Uh, we both end up with something and uh, everything is good. So what does the contingency attorney usually do? They usually go and research who they're about to sue first. And when you do that, you will get a list of all the property you own and all the assets. There's some bank accounts, maybe they could find them. Whatever it is, they look at your net value and see if they get a judgment, is it worth collecting on you? Right. So what's the first step to asset protection? It's to prevent the contingency attorney from even filing that lawsuit. That's the first step. And how do we do that? What we do is what I like to call anonymity or anonymous protection, which is you are not going to own your name as Liran Aliyev owning the property anymore. You'll own it as a different person or a different entity or a different mm -hmm. trust that doesn't have your name there. Kind of like an LLC, right? You could call it 123 Main Street LLC. So we'll put those assets for anonymity purposes in an LLC. Now, what is the reason why I just don't say, hey, why don't you just make a bunch of LLCs and call it a day? Well, in some states, and depends on your state, it's very easy to find out who owns the LLC. You just have to go online, do a simple search, click a PDF button, and boom, I see my name, Laurent, owns this LLC. It's not hard. So where is the anonymity there? There isn't any anonymity there. And so for that reason, I suggest usually to put your investment properties into something called the land trust. I was going to be going into that because I've been hearing a lot of comment about land trusts and what do they mean and how do they work. And I'm glad you brought that up. So please, under what circumstances would I use a land trust to cover my assets? So a land trust is is basically a regular revocable trust, kind of like a living trust, except there are provisions in that land trust that are different that allow a beneficial owner, which is the person who gets the benefit of the trust, to be the owner. So let's back up a little bit and just talk about how trusts work for just a second. 
a trust, a living trust is literally a three-party contract. It's a contract between three people. Unlike those two-party contracts, landlord-tenant, this is a three-party contract. So you have a trustor, the person or a settlor, or the way, however you want to say it, the person who makes the trust. You have the trustee, the person who is in charge, kind of like a property manager, right. the person who's in charge of the trust. And then the beneficiary, the person who gets the benefit, who gets the rental check at the end of the day, right? That's the beneficiary um, of the trust. So all three of those are required when you set up a trust. Now, when you look at title to your property, if you pull up title, just pull up a deed to your property, you'll see that there is a name on there, right? But when it's in a trust, the trust name is on there as an ABC trust or XYZ trust. But there's also usually the trustee's name there, all right? So the trustee's name, the person in charge of the trust is going to be on title. And that person who is in charge shouldn't be you because then you'll be on title and we didn't do anything. It should be something else. And what we do is... Well, let me, let me ask you this. What is my title in that trust? Am I a managing partner? Am I a co-conspirator? What am I, what's my title to a land trust? You are the beneficiary of the land trust. Okay. And the beneficiary in I land like that. trust... I like being beneficiaries. Yes. But the beneficiary in a land trust is a little different than a beneficiary of any other trust because the beneficiary of a land trust is the one who owns the land trust and the one who controls the land trust but not on paper, right? On paper, who's in control is the trustee. And the trustee is the person that's on title. So now you've segregated two types of ownership. You have one ownership of legal title and the other ownership of beneficial title. And you take that and you separate it out. One you use for your titles and the other is the actual owner, which is the reason why you would use a land trust in this, in this situation. Okay. It's just to, for anonymity as much as possible. So with a land trust, I use that in asset protection. I may have an LLC and most of my audience, we have a business, we have a home, and we have some form of investment or income generating properties. Could be a multifamily property, could be a single family detached home. We have these different assets. Do they all go into the same land trust or am I creating a juggling of different names with LLCs, land trusts and whatever else, FLPs, LLCs and such? Let's go back. The land trust is only there for one thing and one thing only. It's to hold title to one piece of property, okay. not multiple pieces of property. It just holds title to one property. Now, for other assets, you're always on top of a land trust. You're always going to need a living trust. Right. Living trust, just remember almost 100 percent of the time, most people that are in the business world are going to need a, a regular living trust. The land trust is there for investment property. All right. And then there are other types of structures you could set up for other assets like uh, a, like a business or uh, it depends on your business. Right. You might want a C, cor a C corporation. You might want an S corporation. You might want an LLC. And it just depends on what it is that you do in life. And those all are, again, under the big umbrella of the living trust. It's all under the big umbrella of the living trust that owns everything else. So yes, your asset structure is going to get a little more complicated from depending on what you own. It should, but at the end of the day, your tax return most likely is going to remain similar. It's not going to make a, a, an effect to your tax return, these uh, asset protection strategies that I'm bringing to you right now. 
Getting further into the business aspect of it, in a life cycle, what's known as the business life cycle or business life, it's been my observation and through research is that on average throughout the country that a business in its business life will get sued three times in its business life. Whether you deserve it or not, that litigation is, as you know, very expensive. And I've given out formulas as to what that costs and how to cover yourself from getting sued. In the event that somebody within your business, say an employee is making deliveries and they have an accident, they hit somebody, what type of insurance should I have and asset protection should I have so that a mistake that is made by someone under my employment doesn't come back to strip me of my life's work? Okay. So you're asking how to limit your liability in general. Um, and to do that, uh, we usually use some form of entity that is going to hold your business, right? Whether it's an LLC or an S-Corp or a C-Corp or a partnership, whatever it is, those structures are basically like a safe deposit box. Think of it as a safe deposit box. All right. You put your business in a safe deposit box. If something explodes within it, you are still confined to that safety deposit box if it gets sued. It's not going to bleed over into all your other assets if you have a, a limited liability company or a LLP or a limited liability partnership. It's going to remain in that box. That is what we call inside protection. It's a lawsuit inside of your of your business that may or may not take away uh, your corporation and anything that corporation owns if it gets sued. Now, people get insurance because that will be depleted first before they go into liability based on your assets of your corporation. So that's why people get insurance on top of this LLC or LLP, whatever it, whatever asset protection strategy you're going to use. And what we like to call this whole thing is called segregation of liability. You are segregating your liability as much as you can by forming all of these safe deposit boxes, which hold assets that could create their own liability. Now, if you didn't have the box, then all of your assets, your investment properties, your bank accounts will be subject to that lawsuit if you didn't have the box around it, which is the LLC. Now, a very common way in which people start businesses and often will just continue is under doing a DBA, John doing business as. And for me, I've told people that's like walking around with a great big target on your chest. Because everything you own is subject to someone else taking it from you if you don't create the entities such as we've discussed here. The DBA is basically yourself, right? Yes. So it's as if it's not there. And you are now exposing yourself to liability for all of your assets. So again, imagine, make this as clear as possible. You have a business, you have a home, you have accounts. You have a DBA business, it gets sued. You are liable now. Your house and your bank accounts could be taken away, depending on your state's laws, for the lawsuit within that DBA business. But if you had a box around it, then your liability will be limited to whatever is in the box, not right. your house, not your personal assets, not everything else. So that's why it would be prudent to make an LLC at that stage. But I know a lot of people, they start off as a, a DBA or they start off as a sole proprietorship just because they're not making any money yet. Well, if you're not making any money yet, you're probably not going to get sued. So 
make some money first <laughs> and then go ahead and do one of these structures, right? Yes. Don't don't go straight into the LLC. It just might be a waste of money for no reason. That's right. Now, from my own personal experience, I learned from early on in a business that having an entity, separating yourself from the business was very valuable for me. And I had insurance because I had that situation where an employee injured somebody else. It wasn't intentional, but I got sued and it was an accident. But what happened was that the insurance company stepped in and settled it almost immediately because the only money that they could really go after was the low hanging fruit was the insurance. And that's what was settled after was that the insurance stepped in, made them an offer and, and away they went. I know from my own personal experience, and I pass this on everywhere I go, is make sure that you separate yourself from your assets and your liabilities. Do not meet on the same page. And that's a very general, not an accounting thing, but it is one where cover your assets, put them over in that, as you put, in that safe deposit box so that you don't expose yourself in a great way. You're, you limit your liability to that entity. I, I can't stress that enough. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of insurance. And I think that anybody who has any sort of liability, even with even if after you do an LLC or even if you don't do an LLC, you should always try to overinsure yourself as much as you can. Just because they will front a lot of bills and depending on the lawsuit, they may even take it even though some pieces of the lawsuits are not covered by insurance. So you should definitely get, as I said, umbrella, home insurance, uh, workers' comp insurance, whatever kind of insurance you can get just to protect yourself as much as possible, that's always gonna be your first line of defense. But just know that there are lawsuits, there's a lot of lawsuits that oh, yeah. are not covered by that. And if that's the case, that's when you want your second line of defense, which is the segregation and anonymity to help you as much as possible. Well, Iran, I can't thank you enough. And one of my favorite subjects is what we're talking about. And oftentimes people think I'm pretty boring at the dinner table when I discuss these aspects. But I can't emphasize enough to my audience how important it is to separate yourself from your liabilities with your assets and make sure that whatever it is that you have can be passed on, donated. Make the decisions yourself by creating entities. Leron, I can't thank you enough for being on this serving of Business Soup. Thanks for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.